Welcome to the new episode of the BC Real Estate Review, a podcast that discusses the news, trends, and overall what's happening in the British Columbia real estate scene, with a primary focus in Vancouver. We want to take the view from both the real estate housing side, but also from the mortgage side. We want to provide a full overview of the real estate scene with good education, solid tips that can help you make sense of everything as you move along your own home buying journey. A drop in immigration levels will have lasting impacts on ownership housing in Canada for years to come, according to a research report from TD Economics. TD economist Rishi Sandhi wrote that the resulting significant slowdown in the country's population would also affect housing growth. According to Sandhi, from 2016 to 2019, Canada saw a huge expansion in its population base as federal immigration targets were raised, and the intake of these foreign students was at historic levels. This further led to more home sales and greater demand for rental housing, which created the environment for an extraordinary pace of home building since the global financial crisis in 2008. COVID-19 has disrupted this population growth, and the economic data points in quarter two show that the number of immigrants arriving in April fell 80% compared to a year earlier. This may all just be temporary due to COVID-19, of course, and the various shutdown and travel fears that go along with it, but reports show that it is expected that population growth will remain below its 1.5% pre-COVID level for the next several years. Since there will be less immigration, there may be less housing sales, and not only that immigrants tend to own homes, they have a tendency to purchase more expensive properties compared to non-immigrant purchasers, in the 2019 Statistics Canada study found. One thing to consider is these studies look at a national level, so in BC, these effects may be somewhat muted. However, immigrants tend to settle in bigger cities, which accounted for about 60% of immigrant inflows in 2019. In another update, rising strata insurance costs continue to affect many of BC's 1.5 million strata owners, who may also be dealing with the financial pressures due to COVID-19. To help return the strata insurance markets to balance, the Ministry of Finance announced amendments to the Strata Property Act and the Financial Institutions Act, as well as the associated regulatory changes on June 23, 2020, through Bill 14. The government will end referral fees between insurers or insurance brokers and strata property managers or other third parties. The government will also develop clear guidelines for what strata corporations are required to insure so that strata councils can make informed decisions on their insurance policies. The government will also require strata corporations to inform owners about insurance coverage, provide notice of policy changes, including increasing deductibles, and allow stratas to use their contingency reserve funds when necessary to pay for unexpected premium increases, and the government will protect strata unit owners against large lawsuits from strata corporations if the owner was legally responsible for their loss or damage, but through really no fault of their own. This is paving the way for more regulatory changes to identify when stratas are not required to get full insurance, strengthen depreciation reports, change minimum required contributions by strata unit owners to the contingency fund, and many others. There will be a final report on these changes and guidelines in the fall, and I will update you more then. For my guest today, I'm very excited to have a real superstar realtor agent here in Vancouver, BC. Paul Eviston. Now, before you introduce yourself, Paul, you and I have crossed paths before in a previous life. 
I sold you a print ad way back when for top realtors feature in uh, BC business. Time flies, doesn't it, eh? I can't believe that was five years ago, Jordan. And I remember meeting you back then and thinking, this guy is a superstar in what he's doing. And thinking to myself, he should become a realtor because he's so successful at selling print ad that he would be successful no matter what he did. Thank you very much. Now, I, I have gone the mortgage industry route, but stayed in real estate. I took your advice and really kind of stuck with it, right? And uh, yeah. well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Now, can you share a little bit more about who you are and uh, what's your jam? Absolutely. So <clears throat> I've been in the industry for 35 years. I, I was licensed in 1985, 22 years old. Didn't own a house, had never bought a house, really didn't know a whole heck of a lot about the real estate industry and had zero friends who were buying homes. I shouldn't say zero because my very first client were a young couple that I went to high school with who just got married and uh, so they bought their first house through me and are still clients today, 35 years later, Keith and Marianne Tunstall. So yeah, I, I came into the market right at the tail end of a severe uh, recession in the early 80s. And it was a great time to come into the market because it was tough. It was really tough to do the business because people were still concerned about the economy. Interest rates back then, you know, were still around 12%. It was, it was a difficult time to come into the industry, but I managed to make my way and I got some very, very exceptional advice from some fantastic people when I was very early on in my career, one of them being the current owner of Dexter Properties, that would be Dave Peerless, was a, was a fantastic mentor to me when I was a young realtor, along with a very good man and a great friend uh, by the name of Kim Spencer, who works at the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Kim was, along with Dave, they were both managers early on in my career who taught me what I needed to know about the industry and the business and gave me a very good footing for what would become, you know, a lifelong career. That's incredible. I have to ask you two things with that is one, your very first uh, sale. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? What was that experience like for you? Oh, wow. Well, that's that's a story in and of itself, let me tell you, because um, I, I had no clue. I, you know, 22 years old, I'd never bought a home, although my parents owned many, many properties. I had never personally bought or sold anything. So at the time, I had just got my license. It was the summer of 1985. I was a semi-pro softball player or so I thought. And um, I borrowed my girlfriend's car to take these friends of mine out that were looking to buy a house. And um, she had a 1982 Chevy Chevette two-door, five-speed, no air conditioning, black vinyl interior. And it was July of 1985, you know, around 30 degrees out, and we were house hunting. And my client, Keith, and his fiance, Marianne, Marianne was in the back seat, Keith was in the front seat, and Keith, we, we looked at one house, and we were driving to the next house, and Keith goes, I hope we find a home quickly. He said, I don't think I could take any more of the heat in this car with no AC. I said, I think you're gonna like the next one. And so we get to the next house, we walk through, they absolutely fell in love with it, and we left the house, talked out front. Keith and Marianne both said, let's put an offer on this house. I said, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds great. I said, uh, I'll call you later on today. So I dropped them back at their car 
and phoned my manager and I said, how do I, you know, put an offer together? So he helped me craft an offer. And he said to me, I'm a salesperson for Tupperware. So the bank said that I actually need a job letter to get a mortgage because as a salesperson, I'm not mortgageable on commission sales. I said, oh, okay, no problem. So I wrote in the contract subject to the buyer getting a job. <laughs> and I forgot I forgot to use the word letter. So long story short, it turns out we were in a multiple offer and the, the homeowners who'd met my clients and took a real shine to them decided that they wanted my clients to buy the house. And uh, they got that house. He got his job letter and everything worked out fantastic except for the possession day when my pager goes off and I'm up in Penticton camping my pager goes off so I phone back and I get the message it's Keith and he says hey we're at the house uh how do we get in and I'm thinking oh yeah I forgot today was move-in day so anyway I've learned a lot since then and uh and we make sure on move-in day that that everybody's all taken care of and ready to go and and they get their keys and everything else but back then you know bit of a rookie mistake there anywho uh since then i've helped over four thousand people uh, buy and sell their dream homes and and it's been very rewarding in the 35 years since that's amazing can i ask you like since you've been doing it for 35 years what does that experience give you and when you have somebody in comparison from yourself or to somebody that's a little bit newer. Does that experience really matter? And how does that help a client if it does? Well, there there's no replacement for experience. There's just, you just either have it or you don't. And the only way you get it is to do it. So, you know the old saying, Jordan, youth and skill are no match for old age and treachery, right? <laughs> so, you know, and truer words have never been spoken when it comes to the real estate industry because I've seen every scenario. And, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years that's really helped me a lot is learning to think out of the box, you know, learning to do things a little bit differently and learning to come up with solutions to people's problems. And so that's what we do is, you know, our business is about problem solving. You know, I met with some people just, just on Wednesday. You know, they were in their home for 45 years. They were moving on to a, another housing solution. They wanted to sell their house. And, you know, they, they asked me, they said, uh, you know, they said, listen, we're going to be moving out of here on Saturday. And we're a little nervous about having a sign on our property. Do we have to have a sign? I said, no, you don't have to have a sign. And they said, okay, well, that's great. We, you know, we, we don't want to attract unwanted people to our property with a for sale sign when we're not living here. And I said, yeah, I, I understand. So I said, we don't have to go with a sign. And, they, and the next question they asked me, they said, how long will it take to sell our house? And I said, well, that really depends on you and how you want to position your house on, on the asking price. And they said, well, we would prefer to price it to sell sooner rather than later. We don't want to put it up at a high number and then have to sit here and then reduce the price. We'd rather go to the market at a number that makes sense that, that our home will sell right away. I said, OK, so we looked at the options on pricing and came up with a number that they were happy with. And they said, what would make us the happiest, quite frankly, is if we could get this taken care of as quickly as possible. And I said, I understand. So I went out, wrote an offer for them on their house, came back the next day and sold it. Both of them were on the verge of tears because they were so stressed out about the fact that they were going to go through this process of selling their house. And they were very uneasy about it. 
And the fact that I was able to sell their house in 24 hours and get them all the terms and conditions and the price that they wanted, they were absolutely flabbergasted and they were extremely emotional and very, very happy and very, very thankful. Now, some people might look at that and say, geez, they sold her house in one day. You know, these were the happiest people in the world when they signed the offer to sell their house because they got everything they wanted. Uh, they got the terms, the price, and more than anything else, they got the process handled in a timely fashion, which was the most critical thing for them. So everybody's different and their wants and needs are different. So really trying to match the client to the result to the client really is is the difficult challenge in our business because not everybody wants the same things so it's about determining what's important to the customer and once you do that that's when you'll be able to give good service because some people they just want to get it done and so understanding that is key in our business i hear that all the time now I, i've talked to a couple of realtors and you know we we hear all the time with everybody that's in the industry and and you kind of find this in a lot of these different industries as they say i excel in giving great service well what does that really mean exactly and you know i hear sometimes it's like okay i pick up the phone i'm like well how are you picking up the phone better than anybody else so can you share a little bit more about what really good service is for the client and for a realtor to that client in my opinion good service is getting the client what they want if the client says my house is worth 2.5 million but i really want 3 million you know sometimes it's about the client getting to understand that they're not going to get the price that they'd hoped for for their house because let's be honest most people have an overinflated opinion as to what the value of their home is right so sometimes what happens is people have an overinflated opinion of what their house is worth you go to the market you're overpriced it sits on the market people come and go and come and go and come and go house doesn't sell and the sellers looking around for answers why is my house not selling when the only reason a home doesn't sell 98% of the time is because it's overpriced okay so good service is showing up and demonstrating to the owner what the value of their home is based on your experience based on your knowledge of the market so if you don't have market knowledge and you don't have that experience and there's no way to get that experience without actually doing the work so when you've sold over 4000 properties you know what people are going to pay for and you know what people are not going to pay for so you can accurately predict what a home will sell for and you can present that information to your seller as to why you know that that house is going to get more money or less money based on all the factors and that's just an experience thing and so a lot of people they want to know that what that number is they may not like hearing it but they want to know what it is so really providing good service is determining what it is most important to a client and 90% of people are going to say the most important thing is getting a good price well of course that goes without saying everybody wants a good price but what are the other factors what are the other mitigating factors well listen you know what we've seen another house that we want to buy and we need to have our house sold in in uh, 10 days can you do that yes we can do that here's how we do that that's good service for for some people other people they want to put their house on the market test the waters at a higher price and feel that they've exhausted every avenue to get that price and if it doesn't happen 
then, oh, okay, let's let's adjust our price and get closer to where the market is and hopefully sell. And and for those people, that's good service. And those people are going to feel good about the fact that you're willing to try at their price. And there's nothing wrong with that, except for the fact that, you know, you lose all the momentum in the process, right? But at the end of the day, something's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. No more, no less. So it's about finding out what the market value is for some homes because they are, some homes are a little more challenging to put a number on. And of course, the other thing is we never know who's going to be in the market when we go to the market. So there's many, many factors. What's good service to one person may not be good service to another person. For example, the, the couple I sold their home on Thursday, the biggest stress for them was the process of having their house for sale. They were very private people. They'd been there for 45 years. They just wanted it handled and they wanted it handled discreetly without a sign and and they wanted it done. And we got it done in 24 hours and they could not be happier. The buyer was happy because the buyer got a home that they were looking for and wanted. They were happy. Everybody, it was just win-win all the way around and everybody was happy. To me, that's good service. That makes sense. Now, I hear a lot from realtors and, you know, you look online and you see a lot of the bus signs. It says proud member of the 1% club or whichever. And I hear some stories about what the Meridian Club is and all that. You know, can you share a little bit more about what that is? And so if people see that, what does it mean? And what's it all about? Yeah, you bring up a really good point, And that's called the President's Club. And the President's Club, it denotes the top 1% in the industry. So every year they calculate the statistics, how many homes have sold, how many realtors, and they figure out which realtors are in the top 1%. So that's 100 realtors in 10,000 realtors, top 1%. So they do the math and they say, okay, based on you know how sales went this year, you needed to sell 100 homes to qualify for the President's Club. And that would be the top 1% of realtors sold 100 or more homes. So what that tells us is that someone is doing business at a very high level. Unless you are very good at your profession, it's very difficult to achieve the President's Club, the top 1%. And very few people do it on a consistent basis, year in, year out. Okay. And that's really the key. We see lots of realtors, you know, one hit wonders, they come in, they have a huge year and then they disappear and you never you never see them in the in the top 1% again. Now, if you're in the medallion club, you're in the top 10%, which means you're selling 15 to 20 homes a year. And that's making a good living and that's respectable. But the top 1%, they're the realtors that are doing that probably 80% of the business out there. And you know the 80/20 rule. So, when you see realtors that are consistently year in, year out in the president's club, that tells you that they're operating at an extremely high level of success and it also tells you when they're doing this year in year out that they're doing good business because you can't operate at that level year in year out unless your customers really like you because you're relying heavily on repeat and referral business to do that level of business year in year out you're relying heavily on um, past customers referring your name and past customers calling you back 10, 20, 30 years later to sell their home. That's really what the President's Club is all about. And, you know, there's a select group of realtors that you do see year in, year out that are in the President's Club. 
Makes sense. What traits and what what do you find in a good realtor? What do you need to be as a good realtor to be elevated to that point that you can be in the 10%, top 1%? What are you looking for? Well, I would say that the most common trait in realtors that are in the president's club, the most common trait is work ethic because you cannot consistently perform at that level unless you have a very strong work ethic and it requires a high level of dedication to your profession for the simple fact that again our business is extremely challenging so to be able to perform at a high level year after year you've got to want to do it you've got to be dedicated and you've got to have a very good work ethic you've got to want to do the work because there's a lot of work required to do our job properly now lots of realtors think they're doing their job properly but they're not and that's why they don't have the success level because there's some elements missing that are required so in order to perform at that level year after year it requires certain elements like i said work ethic dedication and the knowledge you've got to have the knowledge of the market as well so those would be i would say the two traits that separate you know the, the average from the above average realtor i remember a few years ago i mentioned about the print ads before and you and i were chatting and i asked you a little bit more about what you're doing as a realtor and you mentioned that what you like to do is build connection partnerships and build a win-win scenario and with that you need to negotiate can you tell me a little bit more about that delicate art of negotiation yeah i mean some people have an innate sense of how to negotiate from their upbringing from their culture and some people it's a learned skill i would have to say that negotiating it's if you've got the innate ability to do it it's a real separator it really sets you apart from everybody else and it gives you a leg up and it gives you an edge you know my wife she went to UBC and she was industrial relations management she graduated top of her class and believe me i've never met a better negotiator than my wife and she's got that innate ability through her training in school they teach you in school to negotiate and it's a definite skill that some people learn you know as children at an early age based on you know cultural values how to negotiate and lots of people never learn it because they just don't have to you know their professional and working lives never require any type of negotiation but through years and years and years and thousands and thousands and thousands of deals you can see right off the get go when you start a negotiation 90% of the time i can tell how a deal's going to end up right from the beginning before it even starts just from experience and you know one of the things that is critical in the negotiation process and i tell this to the guys on my team is that sometimes it's important to be the cat not the dog okay sometimes you just have to let things happen organically and just see how they unfold instead of trying to shape the process so much you want to just let the process unfold and make small adjustments to sort of guide and sometimes in other situations you have to be heavily involved and you have to heavily influence the negotiations. So really what it comes down to, who's the realtor on the other end of the transaction and who's the client, right? So one of the things that I do when I know that I'm going into a negotiation is I want to know what do the people do that are trying to put an offer on my listing, for example. I gain a knowledge of what they do in their working lives 
because that pretty much tells me the way they think. So once I know what they do, I have a much better picture of the way those people think and the way that they're most likely going to try and negotiate the deal, okay? And a lot of that comes down to their culture, right? What's their background? What's their cultural background? What's their working background? you know and and what's their experience like is this their first house is this their fifth house right so all of these things shape a negotiation and shape how you want to make the next move in the deal and ultimately how you get success in negotiating that deal and again success is different to every customer so some customers it's not about the price some customers it's about getting it done in a certain time frame some customers it's about being able to do certain things within the deal. So, you know, success is different to every client, so you need to determine what's important to the success of your client and then try and shape the deal so that your client has success. You've worked on four you said 4,000 different homes and transactions, which is an astounding number. Can you share a little bit more about that and like what was your best story? Can you pick out one that really came out of that and was like, "Wow, that's why I went in this industry that's why I'm a realtor yeah i mean honestly i could tell you hundreds and hundreds of different ones but i would have to say that the one that stands out most in my mind transpired about 10 years ago and i got a couple who had been living in their home for oh 40 plus years and it was in an area where i did a lot of work and in fact i had just sold a house right around the corner from these people and uh anyway i went to visit with them the husband was in a wheelchair and he had uh, significant health challenges and the wife was clearly a caregiver they had a tarp over the roof of their house because clearly it was a tear down it was going to be torn down they didn't want to spend the money that the house would get knocked over when they sold they also had an order from the city of vancouver because the power mast coming in from the lane was too low and it was it was dangerous so the city was after them they had a tarp on the roof their biggest challenge was you know they would have to leave the area they'd lived in their whole lives because they felt that they would not be able to buy a house in vancouver and so they were considering moving to vancouver island where you know they could take proceeds from the sale of their house and buy a small home over there and retire where well, they were retired already but but basically live out the rest of their days anyway i sat in the living room i i never looked at the rest of the house i sat in their living room and they told me they never had any children they didn't have any relatives uh that could help them they were really in a bit of a tough spot and they you know they were very clearly both very upset about having to leave the area and i happened to have a house listed 3 blocks away that was on a very small uh, low maintenance lot that had a fabulous ground level suite and and keep in mind the husband had some significant health challenges and was in a wheelchair so they had a van and they had a lift on the van and he would uh, go into the the van via the lift and being that this house had a, a very nice ground level unit this house was absolutely perfect for them i pulled my phone out and i got it up on my website on my phone and i showed them the pictures of this house 
And they absolutely were flabbergasted, keeping in mind they had a TV that was probably about 35 years old <laughs> and probably had never heard of the internet before. And they were flabbergasted that they could look at pictures in a video of this home on my telephone. So they couldn't believe it. And they also couldn't believe the price. And because it was on a very small lot, it was extremely affordable. So anyway, I said, this is what you're going to get for your house. And they said, yeah, that's kind of what we were hoping. And I said, and the, you could buy this house, which was about half the value of their house. And I said, would that work for you? And they said, absolutely it would. I said, well, let's go see it tomorrow morning. And the owners had moved out. In fact, the owners, funny enough, had moved to Vancouver Island. And the next morning I met this couple there at the house and we wheeled him into that lower suite and he was in tears. He was actually emotionally very moved by this whole process because they were so stressed out about the fact that they would have to leave the area. Anyway, long story short, I sold their house, in fact, to some neighbors of theirs that I had just sold their property right around the corner two weeks prior and then sold them the, the property that I showed them. And after doing that, process with those people it just made me feel really good about what I do for a living my business and being able to help people like that that was probably the most gratifying sale I've had in 35 years and over 4,000 transactions and those people are still living in that home to this day but yeah it's a great business from the point of view that the great majority of times you're helping people achieve their goal to get to somewhere that they want to go and you're making them happy when you have success in the sale of their home. I mean, we do deal with circumstances where, you know, people's relationships are moving on and, and they are going their separate ways. And that's always a little bit sad, but sometimes not. Sometimes that's a very happy thing for both parties too. So there's all kinds of different scenarios that we run into in our business, but by and large, it, it's a very positive thing. And most of the time, very, very enjoyable. Wow. Well, thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate you being involved and providing your insight. You're one of the main realtor gurus who really were involved in the city and, and really was part of the transformation of what it came from pre-expo to today. So do you have any words of wisdom for that new realtor out there that wants to reach that level of excellence and longevity that you've had? Absolutely. And it's the same pearls of wisdom that Stan Snellgrove, Frank Bouchaw, and Bud Hobbs gave me back in 1985 when I asked them for what would be the best advice that they could give me. And what they told me was, show up and tell the truth. Be honest with people. And they said, it's going to hurt you in the short term, but in the long run, it'll give you great success. And it has. You know, truer words were never spoken. And obviously, you know, before I had the credibility, I would tell people the truth. And <laughs> sometimes it, it you know, it, it didn't work for me. But sooner or later, it started working for me. And, and it's been working for me ever since. And, you know, it's really nice now when I give people my insight about the market and where I see things, you know, most people are very appreciative of the fact, you know, I am giving them the straight goods. And, and that's really, I think, the key thing in our business is being straight with people because they may not like it right up front at the beginning, but at the end of the day, when they look back, they'll appreciate it and uh, and they'll call you back down the road too. So, so that would be the, the best advice that I could give to a new realtor. 
Thank you. That's great advice. Thank you very much. If anyone has any questions about learning more about the real estate industry and, and getting uh, more information, how can they look you up, Paul? They can just Google me, paul at pauleveston.com. They can reach me via my email anytime. I still get your stuff in the mail that says, uh, better call Paul. I love those. <laughs> big fan of the show but yeah. with uh, Breaking Bad and all yeah. that. And so I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it, I I get I got a call from uh, a bar owner in New Orleans, probably it was November, December. Um, someone from Vancouver had visited his bar and left his wallet there. And he opened the wallet and he found a page from one of my notepads in the guy's wallet. And he phoned me and he said, do you know this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he left his wallet in, the, in my bar in New Orleans. Yeah, I, I, see those, uh, I see those notepads all over the place. <laughs> anyway, Jordan, great to chat with you again. Thanks for calling on me. And, um, and I wish you all the luck and success in your, in your mortgage brokering career. And I can tell you, I, for one, will be using your services, my friend. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Now, if you want to look me up or anybody else does, of course, just look me up at koskimortgage.ca. And I really appreciate it. And I hope uh, everyone tunes in next week. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye-bye for now. Thanks, Jordan.